You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Title of today's message is Don't Miss Them. You can see that in the uh, bulletin, John 6, 25 to 42. A few background verses are verses 22 to 24, if you kind of want to just go ahead and preview those. But men are notorious for not being able to see the obvious or that which is right in front of them. Now, since I'm a man, I'm also referring to myself. See this? One time I became good friends with the owners of a mom-and-pop restaurant. Being a minister, they would give me free coffee, freedom to roam behind the counter, and they even gave me access into their kitchen area. They would allow me, unlike other people, to access the refrigerator door without even having to ask. And one day I was in the back of the kitchen area, and the waitress slash cook, in a mom-and-pop restaurant, you know, you have to do it all. So she did both. She commanded me to bring her the aluminum foil, which was sitting directly in front of me. There's only one problem with her request. I did not see the aluminum foil. I know this is plastic wrap, but you get the point. <laughs> I couldn't see the aluminum foil. A simple task suddenly became a big ordeal. The waitress slash cook walks up behind me, places her hand over my shoulder, and grabs the foil, at the same time barking at me, It's right here! (laughs) That's not the first time, nor will it be the last, that I couldn't see that which was right in front of me. Now here's another example. My mom, my mom is here today, mom and dad. On many occasions when, when visiting their house, my mom has told me that there's food in the refrigerator. And as you can tell with these stories here, I'm around the refrigerator a lot. <laughs> After searching every shelf more than once, I just give up searching for the food item, only to have my mom walk over to the fridge and pull it right out in front of me. Sad situation. Sad state of affairs. The passage of Scripture I have for you this morning reminds me of the times that I have not been able to see that which is right in front of my eyes. John chapter 6 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. has been since I was a little child. The chapter starts out with Jesus taking five loaves of bread, and He takes two fish from a boy, and then He miraculously feeds 5,000 men and their families with this just small amount of food. And remember, they had leftovers too. I was mesmerized and still am to this day by that miracle that Jesus did. However, what I have always missed in this account is that after Jesus fed the 5,000, His day was not over. It was just getting started. On the same day, that, that night of, of that fish-feeding miracle, Jesus is found on the water, walking on the water in the middle of the night to, to meet His disciples in the boat. Now that's a miracle in itself, just walking on water. But notice the other miracle that I always miss in verse 21. 
It says, as soon as Jesus stepped into the boat, the boat reached the shore the disciples were traveling to. Now, uh, you, there's a lot of fishermen in here. I know, I know a lot of you. I know there's some high-speed boats today, and there's some high-powered motors out there, like Johnson, Evinrude, Mercury, Yamaha. I've seen them on the road. But I don't know of any man-made boat, or motor for that, for that uh, matter of fact, that can match the speed at which Jesus' boat reached the shore that day. And if you were going to press me, what was the name of, of Jesus' boat that he was in? You're not going to find this in the Bible, but I think the name of the boat was called Phantom because it literally passed through the night and reached the shore of Capernaum. From verses 22 to 24, if you're already there, we can deduce a couple of more things. Number one, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus got out of town in a hurry and he left the crowd in the dust. Number two, the crowd got bigger after Jesus left because... Verse 23 says that some boats from Tiberias landed at the place where the feeding miracle had occurred. Now, remember where it had occurred in Capernaum. I imagine that after this miracle, the boat docks there were full. And number three, this crowd was not giving up in its pursuit of Jesus. Verse 24 says, once the, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They had to find him. In verse 22, uh, I mean, when the crowd finds Jesus, Jesus calls them out for following him for the wrong reasons. He's a little upset with them. And like, like me, the crowd liked being around the refrigerator. Uh, food was what the audacious crowd in this passage really wanted. Verse 25 says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Uh, verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. With the big crowds following Jesus wherever he went, I think you can see in this passage that, that Jesus was a rock star before Elvis Presley ever was. The difference between Jesus and Elvis, however, is that Jesus didn't seek fame. He wasn't seeking these crowds. In essence, Jesus looked at the crowd and he told them, Go away if you're just here to be entertained. And Jesus basically says, look, you're coming to the concert for the wrong reason. You may think that my multiplying fish and bread is some kind of magic trick, but, but no, I'm not here to make you smile, laugh, and have a good time. I'm here to give you something entertainment never could. Really, if you look at the crowds today, they're, they're no different than they were in Jesus' time. They still want to be filled they want to be entertained. But entertainment, like food, and Jesus knew this, it only satisfies for a temporary amount of time. The crowd that feasts on entertainment must continually be fed with a new song and dance, a new trick and pony, a new food and drink. But Jesus says in verse 53, Very truly, I tell you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'm sure the crowd looked at Jesus like, what are you talking about? They didn't understand Jesus. They didn't understand him then. They still don't understand him. Uh, recall, well, this funny thing is, but Jesus understood them. <laughs> that's, a, that's the amazing thing about this. He understands the crowd when they don't get them. Recall that Jesus told the crowds to work for food that doesn't spoil. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Uh, 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Uh, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Uh, the crowd in this account, remember, they had just witnessed Jesus multiply the bread and the fish. And yet they're, they're coming to him asking him for a sign. They think that they have to work for God's approval. But Jesus says, no, all you have to do is believe. Let's face it, the crowd didn't believe because the crowd didn't want to believe. Not in Jesus or in his miracles. No wonder Jesus didn't give them another sign. They wouldn't have believed anyway, and he knew it. So now the crowd decides to quote scripture to Jesus, like he doesn't know that. Jesus corrects the crowd's wrong interpretation of scripture and proclaims, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's simply reinforcing to the crowd that all they have to do is believe. Not understanding again, again the crowd says to Jesus, always give us this bread. Uh, verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In essence, when the crowd asks Jesus to always give them this bread, Jesus says, you don't have to look any longer for the bread. You don't have to work for it. The bread is right in front of you. You're looking at it. And Jesus, funny thing is, he doesn't stop there. He continues, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is similar to what Jesus told the woman at the well. Y'all remember that account? He's similar to what he tells you and I today. Living water, not food, not entertainment, not anything except Jesus will satisfy the eternal longings of our hearts. We know entertainment doesn't satisfy us because it doesn't even satisfy the one who is entertaining I don't need to mention Elvis again, do I? Why else do the rock stars that we sometimes subliminally worship end up killing themselves or end up in drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers? It's because their own words and actions testify against them as they sing in unison, 
I can't get no satisfaction. At least, hey, give them this. At least they know what they're talking about. At least they're telling us the truth. They're right. Only Jesus, the bread of life, can satisfy. The sad fact of the matter is that there are so many in the crowd who know Jesus is the truth, yet they refuse to come to Jesus. They turn the simple into the complex. Uh, For example, I mean, I should have seen the aluminum foil. It was right in front of my eyes. My eyes were open, but they weren't. I didn't see it. The bread of life stands before you today. Do you see him? Sadly, Jesus says to the crowd in verse 36, But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And Jesus continues, verse 37, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And Jesus tells his own people, the Jews, all you have to do is believe. But verse 41 to 42 says, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Last week here we celebrated Father's Day. And last month we celebrated Mother's Day. And the events of this passage had, had just happened in our day and time. I, I could hear the Jews grumbling and complaining. Is this not Jesus who came to church uh, last Father's Day and sat beside his dad and, and came to church on Mother's Day and sat beside his mom? How can he say he's from heaven? Instead of simple faith, the Jews made excuses. I mean, the Jews had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 men and their families. They knew that Jesus had just miraculously arrived on the other side of the lake because verse 22 says, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. And in the previous chapter, Jesus had healed an invalid on the Sabbath. Yeah, the Jews saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They refuse to believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm reminded of Matthew 13, 13, where Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables. And though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. <laughs> Jesus doesn't only say, I am the bread of life. He goes on to say later in the book that I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door, John 10, 9. I'm the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I'm the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25 to 26. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And I am the vine, John 15, 5. Similar to how Moses told God's people that I am sent him, Jesus tells his people, I am. (laughs) I am not just a messenger like Moses, son of God, to tell you that you'll be delivered from your sins. I am the God Moses spoke of 
who can and will deliver you from your sins if you will just believe. But just as God's people complained of Moses while in the desert, so God's people, the Jews, complained of Jesus. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? In this one statement, do you see what just happened? What just transpired in front of their very eyes? In the midst of their complaining, the Jews missed the promised anointed one, the one they'd waited their whole life for. They had their own preconceived notions on what the Messiah would look like. And when Jesus Christ didn't fit the bill, they outright rejected him. They put Jesus in a box. And if you, you read the story, you know they put him in a death box. But not even the tomb could contain Jesus. Though Jesus broke every box and he loosed every chain, some of Jesus' own disciples could not recognize him when he stood before them after rising from the dead. I share this with you, Mount Carmel, because I don't want you to be like the Jewish people. I don't want you to miss Jesus. I don't want you to be standing face to face with Jesus and not be able to recognize him for who he is. The church is in a very special season right now. Some unbelievable things are happening here. Don't miss the one who's behind it all. Can you see him? Don't be like the Jewish people and have preconceived notions on what the church should look like once Jesus shows up. Jesus might have plans for Mount Carmel that none of us have. That doesn't fit any of the boxes we have. We need to crush every box and just say, Jesus, your will be done. As Brandon taught Wednesday, on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever that will is, Jesus from Mount Carmel, for me, however that will looks like. See, this reminds me of how when Michael Jordan played basketball, he was must-see TV. Josh, did you see any Michael Jordan stuff in Chicago? Okay. (laughs) Perfect illustration, brother. If you're a basketball fan before Jordan retired from the Bulls in 1998 and you did not see Michael Jordan play, my question to you is this. Where were you? (laughs) What were you doing? How'd you miss him? Here we are 20 years later. His clothes are still selling like hotcakes. People are still talking about how Mike, remember that, be like Mike, how Mike was the greatest player to ever lace him up and play the game. As big as Michael Jordan is, though, he pales in comparison to King Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years later, not 20, and people are still talking about how Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. I was thinking about Elvis. Yeah, he might have been king of rock and roll, but Jesus is king of spirit and soul. Bas- uh, J- Jordan might have been king of basketball, but, but Jesus is king of all. Yes. Pastor Josh preaches about this man every week. Don't live your life and say, I never saw the man. I never saw him. Unlike Michael Jordan, Jesus Christ can be in more than one place at one time. 
He can dunk two basketballs on two goals at the opposite end of the court at the same time. <laughs> I can't tell you how. All I know is He's God. At this very moment, this hour, He is powerful at work at Mount Carmel. But He's also powerful at work at many, many, many other churches this very hour. You see that? He's playing on multiple courts, not just one. The Jews not only miss seeing Jesus, they miss hearing and understanding His teachings. Man, I feel bad for them. Catching Jesus' teachings was hard, even for Jesus' own disciples. Remember, they didn't have the Holy Spirit at that time. He'd send them a helper later where they, they could understand better. But Matthew 16 starts out with Jesus blasting the Pharisees and Sadducees for coming to Him and seeking a sign. The disciples would have heard this Jesus tirade against the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 5 of chapter 16 says, When they went across the lake, that's the disciples, they forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now he's in teaching mode, remember. They discussed this among themselves and said, Is it because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking about yourselves having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? In a, in a similar passage, Jesus puts it like this, And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, uh, 5, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? Uh, they answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Picking up in Matthew 16, 11, Jesus says, how is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So as you've heard the teachings of Jesus in this just small account here, I hope you can see how Jesus was an, an exceptional teacher. And that's and that the biggest understatement of the world, <laughs> because he was the best teacher of all time. <laughs> teaching's a skill. We've got a lot of good teachers in here. It's a craft. With, with practice, you can become really good at it. And I love good teachers, for one. Because you know, great, if you're a great teacher, you don't have to tell people to stay awake because they're never bored. So I say again, Mount Carmel is in a very special season. There's some five-star preaching going on. There's some five-star teaching happening here. Don't miss him. That is Jesus in the preaching and in the teaching. The good preaching that is happening here is just as much of God as Jesus is. <laughs> the preaching and teaching that I'm referring to isn't just happening behind the pulpit on Sunday mornings. It's happening in your classrooms with the youth and in small groups, discipleship groups, for example, listen to this clip I took from a class handout in David Harris's 
Sunday school class, which answers the question, what does it mean to believe? Which goes perfect with my sermon today. The handout says, if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God the same way that I believe that Vladimir Putin is the leader of Russia, have I fulfilled the conditions needed to be saved? Or is there more to belief than that? We know that it doesn't fulfill the conditions because the devil believes it. And we know that the devil believes it because when Jesus came into the world and began to confront the demonic powers of the devil, they said out loud, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. So the devil's absolutely orthodox in his belief in the incarnation of the Son of God in Jesus Christ. To believe in orthodox Christology is not to be saved. The devil is very orthodox when it comes to his understanding of Christ. So what is missing is not believing in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but delighting in that fact. Embracing that fact. Making Christ a treasure and Lord of your life by surrendering to Him. In other words, belief is seeing Him for who He really is. Seeing Him as infinitely valuable as the Son of God. It's not just acknowledging the fact that He is the Son of but also, also seeing him as infinitely precious and valuable. Satan, on the other hand, does not view God as precious and valuable. He hates Christ. Christ is a threat to his own value. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, we're not deceived like that anymore. We recognize our value as nothing compared to Jesus' value. Instead, we just want to know him, be with him, enjoy him, follow him, and celebrate him. That transition, that change of heart, so that we are now looking away from ourselves to Christ, embracing God for all He is. That's what faith is. That is what belief is. That is what saves. David, thank you for that handout. Ricky, you can come on up. I'd love to end the message right here with the five-star preaching and the five-star teaching. But I know that's not enough. God's got a specific word for you this morning, Mount Carmel. For those who can see Jesus. For those in the crowd today who can see Him. And the word is this. Uh, to much whom, whom has been given, much is required. Why has God chosen to move so powerfully in this place at this time? Because He expects you to be learning and growing and maturing in the faith. Why? So like the youth who just came back from a mission trip, so he can send you out as everyday missionaries, everyday evangelists, future church planters. I'm talking about you sitting in the seat this morning. Ministry leaders and disciple makers. God's got big plans for you in and outside of this church. He sees you as a full-time minister and missionary. That's you. Wherever you're at, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, like Josh said, there's not a square inch where God doesn't say, that's mine. Your primary vocation is to be his missionary. Your secondary vocation is to collect the paycheck that you collect at work. If you see Jesus this morning, I implore you, follow him and go where he can.
Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.